G'day, everyone. Welcome to the Talking Leadership Podcast. Thank you for joining me again. My guest today has studied physical education, exercise science, sport management, and holds a Master's of Marketing, is a former manager of the Latrobe Sport at Latrobe University. She has developed and implemented the strategy to enhance Latrobe University's brand and has served as a manager of public affairs and sponsorships at the Victorian Institute of Sport, the CEO at Victorian Little Athletics Association, and being the master marketing manager at the Victorian Golf Association. Can I welcome the CEO of Vic Sport, Lisa Hasker. How are you, Lisa? Very well, Eric. You've worked in a lot of different places and you bring that sports management leadership lens to the discussion today. So I'm looking forward to starting the discussion. So let's, let's start where I always start with the podcast by asking your leadership and its beginnings. Can you give us a 200 word or less summary of that, please? Um, yeah, look, I can. I think me, I was very lucky that at school I was thrown into leadership positions. You know, I don't remember putting my hand up all the time, but I do remember being thrown into leadership positions. I think my sporting background and competing in different sports and being involved in teams means you kind of, you've got some of those skills. And it meant that I ended up in leadership positions at school, in sporting clubs, um, in sporting teams, which lended itself well to taking on leadership roles when I got out into the workplace. So probably lucky to as I said, be thrown into those roles early and learn some of the skills that you need to, to be a halfway decent leader. How do you define leadership from your perspective, Lisa? What is leadership? How do you define it? I think for me, it's it's kind of close to, to role modelling, you know, showing the behaviours, the actions, the operations that you would expect from others and and leading the way in that, that role modelling sense. I think also it's taking on the hard tasks in running a business or a team that then allow other people to get on with their roles. I like to think that I kind of handle all the running the business type parts of Vic Sport away from the team so they don't have to worry about those little nitty gritty background kind of back end type operations. And then you've got to make sure that you're role modelling the behaviours and the positiveness and things that you'd like to see in your team. And that's been, as you would understand, particularly relevant during COVID when everyone's kind of struggling with a whole new layer of uncertainty and very different things um, along the way. Thank you for that. Do you do you believe your definition of leadership was influenced by your participation in sport? Now, we talked about that offline, but for the sake of the listeners, can you give us a bit of a background to what your link is with sport? And then do you believe, yes or no, that that has had a impact on your views around leadership? Look, I think it has. And, you know, I started playing sport at an early age. It was something my family was involved in. It was something that was considered important as part of our family activities and part of our just general life. Getting involved in those kind of sports enables you to take on different roles, different leadership roles, other different roles in teams as well. And, I think that gives you the skills to then bring that across to other parts of your life. So I think it, it really did help me along the way. It did guide me and it did show me some role models in that context, other team members, coaches and various administrators that I could kind of model myself on. That would make sense that one would link in the other, but I didn't, in asking that question, I'd make assumptions about people that work in different industries, what might drive them and having that background it definitely is one key element of that. 
this next theme is one that I like to talk about because I've, I've talked to a lot of leaders now. And one thing that comes up is that eventually in whichever field you're a leader, whether it's in the for-profit, not-for-profit, sporting sector, whatever that is, you have to make some decisions. And sometimes that's done in a collegiate way and others, you have to make the final call because the decision needs to be made. Do you believe leadership is a lonely road or is it as lonely as you make it? Oh, good question. It probably depends a little bit on the industry, but I think it's as lonely as you make it. I mean, my style is very collaborative. So, you know, if there's a big decision to make or something that we're doing, so an example at the moment is is us uh, moving offices and going to a new space. So I will always check in with my team on what they think of the opportunity, what they'd like to see in a new space, things they would need to make their jobs easier before kind of presenting some kind of proposal to a board or making the decisions with the landlord. So that makes your path a lot easier because you've got the input and you know what staff are thinking before you get to the hard decisions. But having said that, there might be some hard decisions to make when it comes to budget or negotiating different deals with a lease that you just have to make the call and then deliver that in the best way possible. But I think if you collaborate and people understand the issues in the beginning, they're very much, you know, you know, the blow of a, a decision that's not quite as favourable for them is a lot better in the long run because they've been involved in the process and understand uh, the issues along the way. Sometimes you're not going to get you're not going to be liked for the decision that needs to be made. But I, I think the if you can get the process right, and that's always quite a an art form. I think anyone who, who's had any longevity in a career will remember processes that just sucked uh, majorly versus those processes that they were glad to have been a part of. And and you learn more about your leader that way because they can see the humanity in you. I mean, it's easy to see. Oh well, Lisa's a CEO and she doesn't know what the what what the what the little people go through. Well. Leaders were there once themselves and they learned and moved to a career that was about managing people. And one of the questions I don't often ask and I'd like to ask a little bit more of is when you're dealing with people in a leadership role, did you ever envisage as you got into those roles that leadership is about people, not necessarily about operations and is definitely about those people and the processes used to engage with them? Yeah, I think probably... Pretty much it's 100% about that. You know, you can, knowing the, the sport in my context or knowing the business or understanding people's roles is important, makes it a little bit easier to kind of get to decisions and, and operational kind of processes a bit more quickly. But I think if you have the people skills, you can easily tease that information out to get the decision from people. I always kind of like to think that I'd be in a role where I could genuinely do all the jobs in my team so I could step in for them and help them. But that doesn't always work. If you've got that personal contact um, and that collaboration and the trust that you build with a personal relationship, even, you know, there's obviously boundaries in terms of staff versus CEO, but if you've got that, you can pretty much work anything out, which makes it a lot easier to kind of go down the path and the decisions that have to be made. Okay, Lisa, this is where we get into some specifics around what you believe are critical leader capabilities. Now, you've given some hints of what, what those might be, and I don't want to speak for you because this is podcast is about you. So please share with my listeners, if you can, the leader capabilities you believe are critical for success. Yeah, look, Eric, I think as I alluded to, I think, you know, some technical expertise in your area is it makes life a lot easier um, for you, uh, for me and for your team. 
you know, so they know you've got some expertise in the area of your business so they can kind of have that trust when you initially start in a role. And obviously, you know, in my context, being hired by a board, they've got certain skills that they need to see for someone coming in anyway, and includes a knowledge of the sporting industry because our members are the sporting industry and they need to know that you um, have some alignment with that. But in a leadership sense, once once you're in the role and, and you're working along operationally, it's it's building a team that, that has trust in each other. You know, we've it's been interesting test of a team during COVID where you don't get to see each other very much. You've got to cover each other's back without seeing each other. You've got to make an extra effort to connect. And my team have been even better at that than I have been in terms of they, you know, they're very IT savvy and jump in for teams, coffee catch-ups and all sorts of things. But you need to make sure as a leader that, you know, you're basically just down to the basics of checking in that people are okay whether it be a COVID time or not, that people understand their roles properly and are clear on that and then encouraging them to improve and coaching them to improve or providing education for them to improve so they get the most out of their job. And going through this week, doing all my staff's performance uh, appraisals through the week and you know, it's always different doing it by Zoom rather than over a coffee and just talking to them about, okay, well, what's next? You know, you're not going to be at Vic Sport forever What's next and how can I help you get there? Because as much as I don't want any of them to leave, I know they will and they should. So I see part of my role being an ex-teacher and a coach as coaching the team um, to get to the next level. So I kind of like that collaborative coaching approach because I know for myself I wouldn't be in a business forever and ever. That's not my style. So how can I help my team get the next role? building up their skills in their current role and, and also making sure that alongside that they're doing different and interesting things if they choose to stay for a long time so they don't get bored in the job. Nothing worse than being bored and stale and making sure that they've always got interest in, in different different parts of the organisation and different and exciting things to do as, as they go along through their role. I have a, a feeling, this is just an observation, that in the sporting realm, particularly high-level sports or professional sports, that one thing that's common to all sports is that you have to be able to deal with ambiguity and change on a regular basis. It's part and parcel of playing sport. I think it's, it's the contract that you sign when you get onto a field. I, I used to love my futsal and I, I, I helped my school with that and have done for the last five years. Every time we've gone to a game, my thinking around the game situation is you get on, you can do everything you can to prep, but one once you're on there, all sorts of factors come in that you can't influence. You have to deal with on the day. Someone gets injured. Your keeper can't show up for some reason, is injured, pre-injured and can't play as keeper. You have to be adaptable. And I think that translates to the world of work like you wouldn't believe. And I think anyone who's had a leadership position for any length of time can understand that. And I, I think it's the ability to deal with ambiguity that is the biggest challenge for most leaders. Um, I've not met a leader yet that's told me they love change. They love when they don't know what's going to happen and they they thrive on that. The only group I think that, that I've interviewed are the entrepreneurs that but if you're working for an organization you're accountable to a board and to multiple other groups then the driver for your appetite for for change and risk is a little different to 
the entrepreneurs, but I think there's a, a common thread there and sport brings that out quite strongly. Again, only my observation, mate. You're right. And the thing about sport, the thing that people love about sport, particularly, you know, spectators, more so spectators, is that the result is, hasn't been decided. The underdog can win. You know, if, if we go to the opera, we go to a stage show, theatre, we expect excellence, we get excellence, they've practised everything, it's perfect and, and you, you love that. But in sport, the Olympians can train for four years, be the world champion, have the fastest time and have a bad day or someone just has a better day. And that kind of uncertainty in a sporting context is loved by the spectator because your team can get up. Um, in the workplace, you'd rather not have uncertainty. You'd rather not have constant change. But I think if you can cope with it and ride with it, you, you're a much better leader because you don't panic and you don't kind of, you know, in sporting context, um, stiffen up and choke and not behave in a, in a good leadership way because the problem with, you know, choking or stress in any context is you tend to, re, you know, return to your worst behaviours, not your best, and your worst kind of play in a sporting context, not your best. No different, you know, when you're handling a difficult situation in the work context and as a leader. So I think, you know, you need to be able to handle change. COVID has, you know, the sporting group that I deal with every day so you know 100 odd sports in Victoria have handled it remarkably well compared to other industries one because there's probably less financial stress involved because volunteers everyone can just stop um, compared to someone that owns a cafe or, or a business where you know there's, there needs to be that money coming in every day but two because they're kind of used to uncertainty as you say you know the event you thought you were running you're no longer running the event you thought you were going to have you know it's hailing so you can't do it or the team hasn't arrived or you know all those different things you you handle all the time that you can't rehearsed for has um, stood us in really good stead to cope with the uncertainty of COVID um, and everyone's kind of just bunkers down and turns to do something else for a while till we can get back up and playing out on the sporting fields. Yeah, agreed. Okay, Lisa, so the nature versus nurture debate, are leaders born or made? Uh, very good question, Eric. I think a bit of both. <laughs> I won't answer the question properly, but I think there, there is a, some personality traits that come out that kind of lean towards the nature side of things but I think from my experience most of it's nurture you know have you been in situations where you've learned to be a leader have you had leaders that have been role models for you so you can um, copy their behaviors have you been in situations where you've had to cope with different stresses and things that have made you a good leader so I would lean on the nurture slightly more than the nature very good okay and and that that's very typical of saying to a couple of guests in the last month or so that i've never met an extremist one way or another on the podcast maybe one or two that have said it's definitely all nurture i, I think part of me just can't get away from the fact that nature has something to do with it as well out of interest for me given the sporting families you might know do you think it runs in families that uh, excellence in sport is is a uh, partially a genetic thing or is it really a combination of genetics and capacity and opportunity to play in a sport yeah look I think it, it's probably a bit of both I mean that you know I can think of lots of families you know in various sports that have a long line of people that have been to kind of that, that top level you know there's families of Olympic water polos family of equestrian families of people that are, you know swimmers that have you know had kids but then on the other hand there's you know I've met parents who you know I've got an Olympic gymnast who've never been on a beach never been in a gymnasium they just but they've produced this child that 
is the right physical form, and but they've never been involved in that sport. And, and years ago, there was a fantastic Westpac ad that I think was associated with the, might have been Atlanta Olympics, where they got the parents doing the activity of the child and they particularly <laughs> chose the parents who had never done that activity. So someone chucked a couple of parents oh, in a row. Oh, that's go, not, that's not fair. There is a bit of both, I think. Um, you look at someone like the player that's just won the MVP in the NBA finals today. You know, he's a, a Greek man who grown up selling secondhand watches to get his family some food and he got the chance to play a bit of basketball when he was kind of 14, 15 and you know, no one ever thought that now he's the best player in, potentially in the whole league and making millions out of playing the game. So, is this um, in Greece or in the US? In Greece, he was in Greece, but he's now in the US. Oh wow! Okay, look. So what, what, you know that type of story comes out every now and again. It's not the family who've kind of nurtured them from a five-year-old or Tiger Woods who's kind of given a golf club at two. Some person that's obviously shown a bit of talent at some freak opportunity and ended up being the, the top of the world in their particular sport. So, well, there you go. Bloody nature, hey. Throwing up all these <laughs> random things. Yeah, look, I, I I have to agree. And why I was laughing before is that my eldest boy is a musician and, and quite a talented one. He's a, a tuba player, alto sax player, and plays the violin. Now, if you ask me what my skill set in music is, I, I know what music instruments are, and I listen to music, but that's about the extent of it. It can be one of those things that there are skill sets that people might have until, until they get that random opportunity to put them to use. You just never know. And yeah, it's it's interesting. Look, always when I ask that question, I know I'm going to get some gold from from you guys as, as guests because there's always a different perspective on the nature versus nurture thing. And I think with sports in particular, you can nurture someone to be an awesome player. And if they work hard at it, some people just become very, very talented. And I've, I've heard this from coaches in the area of soccer and futsal that sometimes the most talented kids end up the most lazy as they get older because they they fall back on natural talent and do nothing with it and those that have had a little bit of talent but have worked and worked and worked and gotten better better at their craft have eventually become the the key players on a team and you see that i think you would see that a lot across a lot of different sports and it's just sometimes a shame but like in any endeavor in life if you don't use the skill sets you've got you'll never know how good you could be if you don't if you don't practice at it and that's what i've least i've seen in in the sports that i take an interest in but I, i think it would be the same across all of them and much like the leadership context if you don't practice the art of self regulating providing good examples potentially being a mentor bringing people along communicating all of those good things you're not going to get any good at what you do and you might as well look to do something else because you're not you're not practicing the 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 art of leadership if that that's an expression i can use lisa let, let me um ask you the final topic area looking back on your leadership pathway lisa what would you say to a younger version of yourself about being an effective leader Oh, it's a great question. That's what I say to my younger self. I'd probably say, you know, even though in your mind you want to look after staff, you want to collaborate with them and all the rest of it, I always come back to thinking, oh, am I spending enough time with staff? Am I collaborating enough? Because as a CEO of a small organisation, you get very busy with your own projects and operations and you don't have time to be a classic CEO that is just managing and just leading because you are actually got to do a whole lot of operational work as well. So... I think, you know, there's not many CEOs that can just be a CEO because you get involved in lots of different things. But I think I'd always, you know, I'd always remind myself 
to keep checking in with staff, to keep offering opportunities for them to collaborate, for them to have input, whether it be in their area or not. Because you, you kind of always always stop every now and again and think, oh, I should have told the team about that, you know, and you know, at the time rather than a bit later, because you get busy with other things. So I think that stopping and checking in and actually, you know, having a system, putting it in the diary, making sure it happens is really important because you can go a fair bit of time without having those kind of just how you're going, what else do you want to do, what can I do more of, what can I do less of to help you, um, conversations. You don't want to save those up just for formal performance reviews or, you know, conversations about a particular topic. You want to make sure you're having those a lot so people don't um, slip through the cracks and, and don't, you know, get frustrated with what they're doing along the way. Brilliant, Lisa. Thank you. I appreciate your time here. So before we formally end the discussion, I just wanted to offer you the opportunity, if you'd like to, to, to plug what you do with Vic Sport. Yeah, well, that, thank you. That's the opportunity. I mean, we, we're the peak body for sport in Victoria. So we have an equivalent Q Sport in Queensland and New South Wales Sport in, in New South Wales, same in South Australia and WA. So, so our job as the peak body is we're, we're an independent incorporated association. Our job as the peak body is to support sport, and that's kind of in any way they they need it. But mainly, it's, it's helping them with with issues with strategic planning, with governance in Victoria in particular. It's been rolling out the child safe legislation. Any particular thing that helps sport improve and helps them handle big legislation requirements or big issues in sport, it's our job to to educate and support and provide the resources to make it easier for sport. During COVID, we've been kind of the go-to organisation for advocating into government um, about the rules for making sure all sports got the information. So it's a bit the same with with other big things like rolling out GST and, and new legislation that comes through. We're the education arm. We're the support arm. We're the people to ring to say, oh, how do we do this? And, you know, we do a lot of projects with all the sports to help them um, improve what they do day to day and basically make their lives easier. That's that's the goal. Brilliant. You heard it first from Lisa Hasker. For, so for those listening, this has been Talking Leadership. Thank you for joining me. I have been speaking with Lisa Hasker, the CEO of Big Sport. Lisa, thank you for your time. Thank you for the opportunity. Great to talk to you, Eric. No worries. For those listening, this has been Talking Leadership. Thank you. Stay safe. And as always, I'll catch you all on the next podcast.